We are on a mission to help lawyers and law firm owners maximize wealth and achieve financial independence. Welcome to The Lawyer Millionaire with Darren Words from Words Financial Services. In this podcast, we will help you build wealth, minimize your taxes, and plan for retirement with money management strategies designed for the legal profession. Join us in this journey where we help you manage your money so you can make the most of your future. Start feeling confident in knowing you are well prepared for retirement and on track to financial independence. Now on to the show. As a business owner, growing your law firm is a priority. You focus on today, you focus on tomorrow, but what about after tomorrow? What happens to the firm you've built? Darren Wirtz explores the question of law firm succession with Tom Cooney, who has a background as an attorney and now works with others on transitioning a practice. Darren? Hey, Patrice. Yeah, we have a special guest here with us today, Tom Cooney, and uh, Tom's with the firm Cooney, Ferguson, and LaVey and & Company, and he has a great history. He uh, has uh, been a longtime resident of Cincinnati, went to the University of Cincinnati and University of Cincinnati College of Law. Um, he's uh, had a great history of working in various areas, corporate law, acquisitions, and sales of businesses, commercial real estate, commercial litigation, tax-deferred exchanges. Um, the primary focus of his law practice has been the representation of small businesses under 200 employees, which includes the formation of companies, purchase and sale of businesses, litigation, representation of businesses, and other transactions. He's organized several hundred business entities and represented clients in the purchase and sale of more than 200 significant commercial real estate holdings. He's represented uh, parties in more than 600 civil cases, of which approximately 100 resulted in trials to the bench or to jury. And uh, now he's got kind of an interesting thing going on where he's focused on a particular kind of business, and that is law firms themselves. Tom, is there anything in there that I missed that you'd like to add? No, I was trying to recognize who the guy was you were talking about. But yes, <laughs> I think that's plenty. Sounds good. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your background as an attorney and what got you started? All right. Um, when I was in Vietnam with the 101st, I uh, talked to every other company or junior grade officer and everybody was coming back to get an MBA. And I thought there were going to be too many MBAs. So I decided to go to law school, believing <laughs> I was going to, uh, in that way, get into the larger corporate uh, jobs that were available through the legal department rather than through the training program. Well, it turns out I really fooled myself. I started working for a a lawyer, a general practitioner while I was in law school and really enjoyed being the practice of law. After graduation and a year or so after graduation, I joined a business and tax firm, spent a number of good years with them here in Cincinnati. And then I went back on my own and in 1988 started the firm, which I'm currently of counsel with. Um, and 10 years ago, my partners bought me out and in theory, I'm retired. I'm not so successful at it, but nevertheless, um, I still do some work for the firm, not a significant amount anymore. But one of the areas that I've held on to is law firm succession. And the reason I do, I just enjoy lawyers and enjoy their company. And uh, well, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, and so I've continued to do this even in retirement. And I'm probably 
uh, consulted with around 20 smaller firms and uh, sole practitioners and one or two medium-sized firms, but primarily the, the spot where I am are small firms and solo practitioners. Yeah, and that's, that's what I do and enjoy doing it. That's fantastic. And, and that's uh, very interesting. I, I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. So you're working with these small firms and what's the big challenge for them? What are you uh, helping them to achieve? Well, the biggest challenge and the one in which if you don't have a planning, uh, a plan put together in order to have any kind of succession plan or retirement plan, you really have to have a date. And uh, I have found that that not only was a problem with me in deciding when retirement was, but almost every attorney I deal with has a really significant uh, problem with identifying when they do plan to retire. Mm -hmm. And without that, it's very difficult, uh, not impossible, but very difficult to come up with a, a, a comprehensive plan for the future. Yeah, that's, you know, as you mentioned it, that's a very interesting point. And I recognize that a lot with a lot of the clients I work with. They're very nebulous about when exactly they want to retire. So that's, I'm glad you brought that up. It's important to have a particular date in mind, even if maybe you don't necessarily honor that date, but maybe that helps you kind of think about it more concretely. Right. And uh, um, to your part of the world, uh, surprisingly enough, the uh, having enough money for retirement is really not uppermost on the minds of most attorneys. I think it's more a function of who, how they identify themselves. I mean, who, the, who they are. And it's an, I'm an attorney. And without that, there's a question of doing that. Now, not to diminish what you're talking about, I also have had a number of consultations and with firms where uh, simply the, the uh, retiring or the proposed retirement just cannot because of lack of sufficient assets to carry through uh, comfortably in retirement. So it is a, it's a factor, but not once again, I think the hesitancy to stop being an attorney is, is stronger even than the money. Uh, oh yeah. Was. I would agree with that. I've seen that a lot. It, it's part of your identity. You know, if it's something you've done your whole life, especially if you're a law firm owner, you know, it uh, really is part of who you are and that can be difficult. Now, Tom, I, learned about you through a webinar you did with the Cincinnati Bar Association on succession planning. And I'm curious, how did you become kind of the go-to guy for succession planning for law firms? How did that happen? I uh, bragged too much. Um, my, <laughs> uh, quite a number. Of, uh, let's see. I, when I was 60 years old, um, which I'm, I'll be 75 in uh, the next week or so, but when I was 60, I had two partners who were 20 years younger than I have. Uh, both uh, Amy Ferguson and Helen LeVay had put their time in. They really deserved to own the firm. And I made a decision at that point that I was going to pick a date. And the date I picked was pretty simple. It was December 31st of the year I turned 65. Um, and so we set about doing a succession plan uh, that would be triggered on that date. And we put a formula in. We also put enough counsel arrangement in so I could continue to work for the firm, which we still do to this day uh, under that firm. But the, one of the things that really 
helped with that process is we brought in a, a business consultant to level the playing field essentially between me, who was had always been the senior partner. I we were all equal owners at that point. I moved them into equal ownership years before, but it made it easier and made it uh, more comfortable for my partners to talk about it. We put together a comprehensive plan five years in advance of the retirement date. The date came, we executed on the plan. It worked wonderfully for everybody. Um, and so I immediately went out and started telling everybody how clever I was and how smart I was <laughs> to have done this, which led to being asked to do a, a continuing legal education seminar on it. And from that, I've continued to do those seminars from time to time, but that always, almost every time I do it, I walk away with somebody who wants to talk to me uh, about retirement. And I go to lunch, I'm the king of free lunches, and talk to them about it. And um, the truth is, in terms of kind of hard facts, let's say of 20 consultations I've had over these past few years, I'm probably batting about 300. Good at baseball, not very good here. What's that mean? Well, probably six or seven of the 20 times that I've consulted, I've been able to come up with a solution that is worthy of reducing to writing and uh, do that. Most of the others, um, there, there are several categories and you can ask about those if you want, but most of them, uh, failure is, they, they just don't know when they want to retire. And so how can you plan? And that's how I've left it. And they're all going to call me someday if I'm still alive. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, you know, it's interesting because you kind of, uh, you discovered something, I think, here. I think you discovered uh, a particular niche where there's a lot of demand. I, I uh, Would you agree with that? Do you, do you find that this is something that's not really talked about a lot, that there's a great need for? Oh, I think there's a tremendous need for it. Uh, most small firms don't um, don't survive the, the founder. And I don't want this to sound like I'm you know, Mother Teresa or something, but um, I made a real effort and it was successful to keep employees. And I've had, well, I've got, there's two paralegals who are still with the firm that started on the day I, uh, that the founding partners and I started the firm it was May of 1988. Um, and I kind of owe them an obligation that, you know, they've given me the best years of their lives. They were young women in their twenties. And now, you know, this is many years later, um, and so I wanted that firm to continue, not because my name was on it, but because of the number of people who had worked for me and who had um, uh, devoted their, their the best part of their professional career to me, including the, the attorneys that were behind me. And so that was the motivator. Um, and we were, reason we, I, I would say, very successful in attaining that goal. And uh, the, the current partners of that firm are looking to the future. And there's two new uh, two new young partners in there that may, if everything works out, may in fact succeed them. That's unusual. Yeah. That really yeah. is unusual. That's, you know, that is unusual. And I think that's the right attitude. You have to have kind of a win-win attitude where you're not just in it for yourself, but you want to help your other uh, colleagues and your employees uh, survive and thrive. And ultimately, I think if you have that kind of approach, 
everybody wins in the end. Would you would you agree with that? Well, oh, absolutely. And um, the, the other part of this is a longer lead up time. You can't I don't mm. think it's practical to hire somebody, bring them in for two or three years and for them to have the faith in themselves that they're going to really pay a purchase price for a firm um, because, you know, they just haven't done it. Now, with both of my partners, it was a, a long history. They'd seen that we could make money. They had shared the management uh, of that firm for many years at the point where they bought me out. And, you know, I'm sure they had and expressed some concern that everything would go well without Tom. And in fact, everything not only goes well without Tom, it might even go better. It's hard to say, but um, th that's a, a big part of if it's a firm in terms of succession. Mm -hmm. Now, sole practitioners, different issues, set of issues arise there. And we can talk about those if you'd like to. Right. So, Tom, let's let's get into the weeds a little bit. You know, let's say a law firm owner comes to you wanting to sell his or her practice. What are some of the initial questions that you're going to start asking them? Well, of course, which, the one that we've already covered, when, mm -hmm. um, and when we get past that, then it's, um, I first have to look at or consider looking at what type of practice. Um, there are quite a number of areas of practice of law where um, it's just really not a transferable practice. There's not that there, there's really nothing there to transfer. And this is not a derogatory comment, but such things as domestic relations, bankruptcy, personal injury, those are one and done kinds of relationships. And um, I've had a couple employment uh, type firms, you know, who do employee rights and things like that, where they've built up a, a, a really recognizable name uh, mm -hmm. in the community. Uh, but that's only just a small, I mean, that, that, that doesn't pass on great value to a successor. So the first part of the analysis besides, okay, when do you want this to happen is what do we have to sell? Mm -hmm. uh, now, in my instance, um, I have a book of, I'll call it a book of business. I've represented started and represented a lot of small firms. And when the young attorney who took my practice over, uh, there was probably 150 small companies of which he's retained almost all of them. We thought it would be a 50% retention, but he's younger and better looking and smarter and can actually draft better than I can. So all those things um, wind up with my clients liking him better than they like me apparently. But that really worked out for my other two partners. They they retained a source of business for the firm that would have simply been lost had I retired and told everybody to go find an attorney. Yeah. Uh, so those are the, the, and there are other types of practice. Uh, estate planning is one of the, the easiest to uh, engineer a, um, a purchase, both as a, as a firm or as a, a small practitioner or solo practitioner. Um, those type of continuing relationships are the ones that have the better value because of the stickiness of the relationship with the clients. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure that um, asking about other assets is probably one of those questions too. What kind of retirement assets do you have? Because, you know, law firms, uh, don't really sell for quite as much value as other types of businesses might. 
Uh, would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And in yeah. fact, I, I did when we sold the, my or when my partners purchased my part of the business. I'm more comfortable talking about mine than other clients. Here's what, what I looked at as a the, as a concept. I didn't just name a number. Here's what the firm's worth. I uh, looked at the balance sheet. We take that first, and then uh, it was a cash. We were on a cash accounting method, not accrual cash counting. So we took that balance sheet and at any given point, we've got a fairly steady uh, net worth. But what are the two big, really big assets for a small firm? One is work in progress. Mm -hmm. And everybody's got a huge amount of work in progress. Well, we had good records uh, to show statistically what if you had 10 hours of work in progress, what that was going to translate into into actual build time at the end of any period. You know, obviously it's not one for one. Um, you do some work um, for a client uh, or in preparation for doing work, and the, and the relationship doesn't continue, or it's just impractical to bill all the time. But we, if you have good records, which I believe are important for the daily management, not just for retirement, the daily management of your firm. We had those. So work in progress was one aspect of it. And um, so we'd enhance the balance sheet by one third of what the work in progress was at the time of my retirement, December 31st. Then the other is uh, accounts receivable. We have a, a just an extraordinarily good record in, in accounts receivable. So our predictability on dollars shown on, in accounts receivable toward the realization was in the high nine or above 90%. So that made it easier. But we went through the 30, 60, 90, 120, and 100, over 120 and uh, did a little formula because there were some that were in those categories. And that was, an, and then one third of that, that's, that enhances the balance sheet. And fundamentally, that was the purchase price. Okay. And it, it's not great, uh, <laughs> but it, and, you know, but it, it was a significant amount. Right. And um, in terms of you know several hundred thousand dollars, and that's not something that you just want to walk away from. In yeah, my exactly. Yeah, it's it's unlikely that you'll be able to retire solely on the value of your firm should you sell it. So you need those other retirement assets, and that's why I oh. love this topic because retirement planning and succession planning really go hand in hand. And I meet a lot of people that are kind of uninterested in selling their firm, but because they don't think it's going to sell for a lot. But I, you know, my take is always, well, you know, even if it's just a small amount, Hey, you know, that's value that you could receive, you know, and if not, why not? Right. <laughs> I've sold so, several, several sole practitioners practices for, um, you know, not a significant amount of money, 50, $75,000. It's yeah. not, that's not a lot of money, but that's not bad. I mean, you yeah. know, you think about having that versus not having it. And for, the price of a little bit of your time and, you know, and putting together an agreement, you certainly can uh, realize another asset. The, the one thing that you did say, Darren, which is critical here is that selling your practice is not a retirement plan. It is not right. a good plan for if you're saying, I'm going to realize all of this out of, out of my hard work over all these 40 years. And that's what I'll retire on. That's a bad plan. Yeah. The two, need to go really hand in hand. Now, I heard you mention good records. 
Um, and that's very, that's great. You know, that's something you need to obviously uh, think about in preparation for a sale. Are there other things that uh, law firm owners need to think about as they prepare for the sale of their practice? What are some things that they need to be doing to get ready for that? Um, well, you should have a comprehensive plan about how you're going to deal with uh, client succession. Um, and I had um, just a really happy little result a few years ago, back uh, around the 2008-2009 economic meltdown, uh, when young lawyers were coming out of law school, there was not very good prospects. And a young law school graduate got out of UC, didn't uh, have any prospects in terms of employment. And so she hung her shingle up and wanted to be an estate planning attorney. Uh, and I didn't find her for this, but I'd been talking to two other attorneys who practiced together for many years. They just shared office space, but they, you know, they had a, a an association that had been working well. Uh, one of the, the, the one that wanted to retire, one, one means or another, found this young woman. And we put together a plan. And the, by the way, it's relatively recent that you can sell a law practice. And it's uh, Ohio Rules of Professional Conduct, Rule 1.17 is the one that governs this. And it's pretty straightforward. It gives you the formula. And all you have to really do is look at it. And it tells you how you have to go about doing this. But uh, we went through that. Uh, we made uh, so that, you know, she had no assets. Obviously, she had debt is all she had. But we came up with a formula. It was an estate planning practice. And based over a five-year period on what was realized would be uh, from existing clients and estates and other things would be the source of payment. Uh, we had to name a price and we could name any price we wanted to. But uh, I went to both the disciplinary council, the local bar association and at the Supreme Court um, to get an approval on this. But if she didn't make realize any funds, she did not have to make the payments. Everybody won on that kind of situation. And the surprising win was not the money. My guy says, you know, the money was nice. It was better than just walking away and not getting anything. And he, he got probably $50,000, He said, I really enjoyed the aspect of mentoring a brand new lawyer. Mm -hmm. And I met with her on a weekly basis and introduced her to clients and just kind of fell into this routine of transition, which worked out for both of them. He felt good about these long lasting client relationships that he had passing them on to somebody who was going to take care of them. Uh, he also felt good about helping a, a, a younger attorney come along. So that's the, that, that succession in terms of clients is the, that's a long story, Darren, to come up with the thing. You have to talk about how you're going to notify and how you're going to deal with client succession. Absolutely. Yeah. That, and that's really the critical thing because you can't technically sell a client relationship. Uh, <laughs> you can uh, try to you know, transition those relationships, uh, but ultimately that's the decision of the client. And that I imagine is one of the biggest challenges that law firm owners face when they go to sell their practice. Are there other big challenges that law firm owners might encounter? That's a good question. I was just trying to think about um, if if it's your succession, uh, the biggest thing that I was concerned with, and I think my partners too, 
was what I will call an of counsel arrangement. Hmm. And that meant I'm working, bringing revenue into the firm. I'm no longer on salary, uh, but I do get paid for my time. And we worked out a formula based on our, our firm expenses. And so that they made some money on me and then I made some money at the same time in terms, and I don't, it's no big secret. I get 50% of whatever I bill. And that gives yeah. my partners, um, their, our cost structure is, is lower than 50%. Um, and so they make some money on the fact that the old guy's still hanging around. And I do, but that was, you know, that, that can be difficult um, to smooth out that continuing relationship after you've left the firm and, um, and do that. But so you- that's a challenge. Yeah, but you know what? I think that that is a critical reason of why your transition was so successful. Uh, having you continue to be involved, perhaps um, after that that sale, would you? Do you think that that's probably true? And then, uh, what are some things that need to happen after the sale on the other side to ensure the success of that uh, transition to the next owners? Um, well, Rule 1.17, which I previously mentioned, the Ohio Rules of Professional Conduct, actually requires when they're when you're selling a practice. Now, that's not it's a different issue if it's a succession within a firm. You don't have to do this, but uh, if you're selling the practice, as in the example I just gave, uh, you have to notify the client that this is happening and give them the option of either picking up their file or staying with the you know staying with it. You know, they have to uh, actually make an affirmative decision to stay or go. Uh, I will tell you, my experience is inertia is your best friend if you're um, a retiring attorney or the purchasing attorney, because most people will say, well, if Tom says they're OK, they're OK mm-hmm. and uh, and stay. And then it's the clients are, are the purchasing attorneys to lose. But designing that approach and. Um, marketing, you know, my whole marketing budget uh, throughout my career has consisted of buying business cards and um, taking people to lunch. (laughs) And um, that's the... the, Sounds like a great job. (laughs) Oh, it's a great job. And I take the... When Ian started, uh, I picked out and identified critical clients that had been long-term clients and who also had the potential of selling their businesses because my clientele is getting older and we did a series of lunches um, so that he had a chance to get to know the client. I had a chance to introduce the client to him and, and we, it wasn't just hit or miss. We actually had a kind of a hit list of clients that we wanted to be sure that uh, there was a a continuity in, um, in representation. So that's a, that's a time consuming a task. Yeah. As I said, I didn't, I didn't buy ads, but go to lunch and take an hour out of or hour and a half out of your day. And that's billable time. You're not ever going to get back. That's the real cost of that marketing plan. Uh, Absolutely. But it's necessary. It's necessary. For sure. For sure. Yeah. It, it, that's one of the unique features of selling a law firm is it really does have to be more of a transition like that for sure. All right, Tom, well, we are coming down to the close to the end of our time here. Is there anything else that you would like to add? Um, no, that's a good question. It, it, 
it takes planning. Um, it, it took us almost the better part of a year to come up with a succession plan. So sooner is, um, is better than later. And, if, uh, and we've talked about, as you've noticed, this continuing relationship. I tell not just lawyers, but my business clients, when you think you're ready to sell your business or sell your practice, you should be looking at a minimum of a three-year planning horizon. Um, uh, and it's probably going to be more than that. So you know, if you put it off until you're, you're 70 years old and say, well, now I'm ready, it's probably too late. Mm, uh, yeah. To do it. So that that would be the one caution that I would have and retire while you can and have some help and just make that decision. That's the hardest decision to make there. That's great advice, Tom. Now, Tom, um, if folks want to get a hold of you to ask questions or perhaps with uh, help to get help with their own succession planning, how can people get a hold of you? Well, the best telephone number is 513 615 4049. My email address is T, T is in Tango, Cooney, C U N I, at C F L, that's Charlie Foxtrot Lima, and then dash, not underlined, but dash law, Lima Alpha Whiskey.com. And either of those uh, would work, and I'd be glad to talk to anybody. And as I said, you know, the initial consultation uh, often determines whether I'm going to be of any value or not um, in their particular circumstance. I'd be glad to talk to anyone. It sounds like it comes with a lunch. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Lunch is, is a mandatory. And I probably even pay most of the time. So you know, <laughs> <all> the... <laughs> sounds good. Well, we'll definitely put your contact information in the show notes. Thanks so much for coming on Tom and giving us a little bit of your expertise. Thank you for having me Darren and Patrice. I do appreciate the opportunity. And Darren, how can listeners reach you? Now we know how to get to Tom. Yeah, it's succession planning is a big topic in the book, The Lawyer Millionaire. And uh, you can learn more about the book, the podcast, me, schedule a meeting with me if, just simply by going to thelawyermillionaire.com. And of course, follow this podcast to know when new episodes are ready for you. And if you like the information, of course, share with colleagues and friends. Thank you for listening to The Lawyer Millionaire. Click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not intended to represent investing or tax advice. Always seek the advice of a qualified investment or tax advisor with any questions you may have regarding your own financial circumstances. 